So oftentimes I'll be thinking throughout the week, and actually for a while now, that one day in 30 years, I will know every Torah portion well enough to know everything that there is to know about it. But I was talking with Jonathan this morning, Jonathan Baggett, wasn't talking to myself, about how every year we'll cycle through and learn something a little bit new. And uh, what I've been going through this week and wrestling with and challenging myself with and I'm now going to bring to you this morning um, is one of those little tidbits that I had often forget about from this Parsha. So uh, I'm going to read first from 39, 6 to 23 in Genesis. Now, so he released everything he owned into Joseph's hand, Potiphar. With him in charge, he did not think about anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and handsome in appearance. Now after these things, the master's wife lifted up her eyes at Joseph and said, Come, lie down with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, My master doesn't think about anything in the house with me in charge, and everything that belongs to him he's entrusted into my hand. No one in this house is greater than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I commit this great evil and sin against God? And so, I'm actually not going to read all the way to 23, but that part right there is the part that stood out to me uh, the most, I think, this week, and I'll get to why that is. But I find this relationship between Joseph and Potiphar's wife um, interesting, and I was talking to Catherine last week about how, you know, part of me wishes there were modern reenactments of events, because part of me doesn't think this is, it's necessarily how it went down. You know, later on when Potiphar's wife is saying, no, come lie down with me, and she grabs part of his cloak. I don't, you know, it's nice when we read the scripture to think that he just immediately ran away. Part of me wants to think, though, because she made such a fuss about it, was that he looked at her and just went, ew. And this, you know, would offend her. And so that he wasn't just running away, but he had insulted her. And, uh, you know, her, her looks. And so that's why she got so upset. But we know that's not why. We know that's not the case. But that's just how I like to think of it. Um, sometimes because I think it's entertaining. So we mostly read and mostly remember the story, at least I did until this week, about Joseph running away. About Joseph, you know, fleeing the temptation of immorality to cause his Potiphar's wife to commit adultery. But I think this first conversation they have, which I had completely forgotten about, is more meaningful. You know, he tells her, uh, no, I'm not going to. And then there's some time that progresses in between this first conversation and then when later on he um, is tempted again by her or he runs away. And so earlier this week I had made a post, and I want, I want to read it because uh, rather than try to rethink my thoughts um, from earlier this week. So I, I quote Genesis uh, 39, 8 through 9, where he says, Look, he says to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has entrusted everything he owns to my care. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? I absolutely love this conversation Joseph has with Potiphar's wife. Joseph makes it clear to her that he will not sin against his master Potiphar, which ultimately, Hashem is his ultimate master, but obedience to the heavenly master results in obedience to earthly masters. The way that Joseph refuses her in this instance, though, is particularly 
awesome. It should be the desire of every person who desires to please God to succeed where Adam failed to not sin. This conversation here is almost like a reenactment of what Adam's conversation should have been when tempted to sin. Joseph tells her that his master has entrusted everything in his house to him. In Genesis 1.26 and 2.20, man is created and charged with the stewarding of creation. Joseph tells her that no one is above him in his master's house. In Genesis 1.27, man is made in the image of God. He is the pinnacle of creation. Implying that he is responsible over it and to rule it in such a way as to honor his master, both heavenly and earthly. He lastly tells her that there is only one thing Potiphar has withheld from him, her, as she is Potiphar's wife. Genesis 2, 16 through 17, God forbids Adam from eating of the forbidden tree, and it's the only thing he forbids him from doing. Joseph embraces his role, who he is, and what he is supposed to do, regardless of how he has been treated up to this point, and his stature as the son of Israel. He would have been something of royalty. You know, he was the son of a sheik. He wasn't just, you know, the son of some nomad. I mean, they were, they, they were royalty. He submits to Hashem in righteousness, in Exodus 20, 14. And to Potiphar's role, not only as his earthly master, but as his neighbor. I love how this conversation mirrors Adam's situation in the garden, and rather than be like Adam, Joseph chooses God. So Joseph chose God, and it even stands out in the conversation, because it doesn't say, you know, how can I commit this great evil and sin against Potiphar, even though he would be sinning against Potiphar, but it says, how can I commit this sin against God? It shows where his mind is at. His mind is on, if I sin, it's, it's against God first, man later. And so, you know, I take from this this week, you know, that we are to obey God because he is God. It's not for blessing. It's not for redemption, for salvation. Hashem is worthy of our obedience because he is Hashem. Last week's takeaway from Rabbi's teaching, uh, which was really good, by the way, and I enjoyed because so much of it was an encouragement, particularly to leadership in the Messianic movement, of taking Torah to the nations in its complete form. In other words, not depriving them of the words, not depriving them of the practice. You know, and part of that taking that to them is to live it out before the nations as well. Yeshua says, let your light be seen among men so that you may glorify your Father in heaven. And if we don't do that, you know, we violate Exodus 27, which says, you know, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord that God in vain. Because, you know, disobeying him while claiming him is a form and a way of using his name in vain. The definition of in vain means to be without success or result. And, you know, people notice how we treat our God. People notice how we talk about our God, because we talk about him all the time. We dress in a way that says, I worship, I believe, I follow, I claim to walk in the paths of Hashem, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because we wear things like tzitzit. We wear things like kippahs. We make a point to not eat at certain restaurants and to not eat certain things. And if we go over to people's houses or homes, we say, Please make sure there's something I can eat if they're not practicing kosher. Doing what we shouldn't while bearing these signs. And we're bearing these signs most of the time in our life, but then we choose not to do the things that God commands while claiming those signs and bearing them and wearing them. 
we make a mockery of Hashem, and God will not be mocked in the end. It, one of the reasons it brings his name, it's using it in vain, is because it pushes people away from God and the gospel. When they see that, you know, here's these people that claim this God. You claim your God has power, but when it gets difficult, you disobey him. You know, when it becomes, uh, you know, it becomes too difficult to, you know, check the ingredient label on a box of food, taking an extra 30 seconds in the grocery store. If it's difficult to wait an hour past sunset, you know, it's a question of, you know, where is my heart at? If I can't bother to, if I cannot be bothered to make sure that I'm guarding God's time, his set-apartness. You know, double-checking your receipts. One of the greatest examples in my life of good business conduct, biblical business conduct, is from my parents, who would check their receipts often after making large purchases. I remember one time in particular, we had bought these lovely, um, if any of you have seen those, you know, those alpine dresses that ladies will wear in uh, the alpine regions of Europe, my, but my parents had bought some for my sisters, several of them, three, I think three, yeah, they bought three for all three of my sisters. And these were not cheap dresses. You know, we're talking several hundred dollars, maybe a hundred dollars per. And they had gotten back to the hotel room, and my father made a point to go back over the receipt that they had given him and come to find out that they had actually not charged him for, I think, two of them. So for if they were each a hundred dollars, three hundred dollar dresses, that's two hundred dollars missing. And he chose to go back and make restitution and pay what was owed. You know, if we can't be bothered to make sure we are paying what is owed, to make sure that we are just and fair in our dealings with others, not just in business, but in how we deal with others and their faults against us and forgiving them and providing them the mercy that Hashem gives us when we fail, then we are bringing and using God's name in vain. Because people are watching. Rabbi talked about that last week a little bit. You know, our family and our friends are watching our choices. Uh, they're watching our tongues, how we speak, how we treat others. Uh, they're watching, you know, are we, you know, really going the full gambit? Are we really 100% in feet first? Making, you know, because I remember when I first came in, I was very strong in my language towards my family about needing to be doing certain things and not doing other things. And, you know, here I am two years later. If I was to suddenly not choose to do one of those things or to be willing to maybe compromise on, well, I'm at my parents' house for the weekend, a little bacon's okay. You know, they're watching and they're paying attention and they are remembering, they will remember how I made them feel judged or offended about eating something that God says not to eat and then now I'm willing to make a compromise being with them. And that can hurt our witness it definitely hurts my witness to my family and my friends if I am to go back on what I've said I am to do. So last week's message was directed, I think, largely at leadership, pretty sure, most messianic leadership. And it's fun because Joseph was placed in a position of leadership. But leadership is more than just government. All of you are in some way a leader, especially if you're in a family. Uh, you know... Joseph was placed in a position of leadership in the government, and he brought salvation to a nation. Parents, your raising of your children is a, um, you, are, you play a heavy role in their salvation, ultimately, and leading them and pointing them to scripture. You know, 
choosing God in your family life and making sure that your children know in the things you do that you're choosing God. You know, when you have a difficult decision to make, do they know that the decision you're making is for Hashem? It's not just because that's what our family does, that's tradition, that's culture. It's because it's of God. You know, husbands, when was the last time your wife saw you choose God? When was the last time you had a disagreement or something came up? This is a great example this time of year with, you know, the practice of certain holidays that people draw lines on what they're going to participate in and what they're not. You know, are you, are you doing it because you're choosing God? And does your family know you're choosing God? Mothers, when was the last time your children saw you choose God? And the curriculum you use and the activities that you're doing, uh, you know, whether you're homeschooled or after school, if your children are in public and private schools, you know, is your family full of choosing God? So one of the reasons I love having the sword up here is because it shows when the children come up that their families are actively pushing them and encouraging them to choose God because they're coming up and remembering verses. And I know they're not remembering those verses in 30 minutes before service. So that means they're doing them at home and their parents are teaching them and guiding them in how to memorize scripture and how to live it out. You know, most of us choose God and his things and most of you do. I'm not... You know, don't think that I'm implying that any of you don't because I know I see most of you even outside of here, and you do, and that's good. You know, but you have, we have to be ready for the hard choices that come up too. You know, for example, you've got a promotion coming up, and you've got to be at a Friday night promotion party for your work. Do you choose to go, or do you choose to stay with your family and to be obedient to Hashem and to love your family and that they see you there choosing God and choosing them over the world and what the world can offer. You know, submission is a daily choice. It's something we wake up every day. We choose whether or not to get up and pray. We choose whether or not to get up and study. We choose whether or not to get up and join our friends in prayer meetings and Bible studies. We choose whether or not we're going to eat what God tells us to eat. And these are just surface-level examples. Kosher and Shabbat are not the only things, but these are some of the bigger and harder examples. You know, children, teenagers, submission to your parents, that's an everyday choice too. Joseph chose to be submitted to God and to Potiphar, but he knew which one was priority. True submission comes in choosing God when faced with something that is desirable or that we want. It's not submission if we say we're going to do it and there's nothing actually in our way preventing us from doing it. Submission comes when we have an obstacle placed in our path saying you're either, either going to choose this or you are going to choose Hashem. And true submission comes when it actually hurts a little bit. It actually pains us. To submit. Yeshua submitted before the Father and went to the cross, asked him, Lord, take this cup from me if it be your will, but your will be done. And his will was done. And he went to the cross. He was scourged with a cat of nine tails and hung on a stake, bleeding out, suffocating to death for our sins. And he submitted to that. Submission causes pain. But when we do it for Hashem, when we do it for the right reasons, no matter the pain that comes with it, we have his spirit and his encouragement to allow us to do that, to keep us going. Because it's actually a hard choice. Joseph knew that he could die if he fled. 
because odds are she was going to report him for you know, doing something he did not do. Whereas had he actually chose to, slept, to sleep with her, he probably would have been a secret relationship that would have continued on and he would have lived you know, prosperously as far as you can go living in sin in Potiphar's house. But he chose to flee sin. You know, here we are at Hanukkah. It's a, it's, you know, the festival of dedication. And I like that better than the festival of lights because it's, it, it's sort of like a, a second Yom Kippur. You know, you have to choose what your life is dedicated to, where your heart is going to be. One of my favorite stories comes from 2 Maccabees where a family is tortured and killed because they would not eat pork. They refused to eat pork, and so they were tortured, cut off, you know, finger by finger, limb by limb, all, it was a, a mother and her sons, and so all these boys were killed brutally in front of each other and their mother, and then she was finally killed, but they died to not eat pork. They chose Hashem. They chose their standing with Hashem was more important than their temporal life here. They chose the eternal. You know, most people would be willing to say, yeah, I'm willing to die for Yeshua. I'm willing to die for Jesus and his gospel, the good news that he brings salvation. I certainly am. How many are willing, and this is part I've been, part I've been wrestling with this week, in my own thoughts, with myself, challenging myself before I brought it to you, was, you know, how many of us are willing to die really for him? You know, in John, it tells us, you know, in the beginning was the word... The word was God, and the word was with God. Yeshua is the word, the living word, Torah made flesh. So that should mean you know, how many of us are willing to die for his words, not just for him as a person, not just for him as a redeemer, as our master, who he really was. How, much, how many of us are willing to die for kosher or Shabbat, to give our lives for the things that entail his Heart. The Torah is the heart of Hashem. How many of us are willing to lay our lives in the line for the things that God says he loves and that says doing these things demonstrates love for me? You know, in part of the liturgy, you know, we, you know, we're reminded that above all, it's Sabbaths we are to keep. And if we're not willing to die for the little things, how will we be willing to die for the big things? Especially as the world looks more and more like it's getting uh, more and more difficult uh, for believers to express their faith. You know, how many are we going to stand for our faith and continue to live it out and live a life of sacrifice to truly bear our stake for our master? You know, one of the examples I give in when I'm having to make these choices is if I have to debate with myself more than once in my head, odds are I already know the answer. I just don't like the answer. <laughs> and it's true. I don't, sometimes, I want what I want. We all want what we want, and that's where submission comes in. The choosing of Hashem comes in, and that's where it's important, is because we, may, we, we wrestle with Hashem and His Word. And like in the Bible, sometimes God has to wrench a socket or joint out of socket out of times. There are a lot of things I have to look back on and say that memory still kind of hurts because that wrestling to the point of submission took time, it took energy, it took emotional energy, and 
but ultimately, if I did not submit to Hashem, I wouldn't win. You do not strive with God to beat God. You strive with God to be with God. You know, Joseph was given a position in Potiphar's house, and he chose to do right by his master, with his wife, with his belongings, so much so that it says it you know, several times. And that character continues on into prison when the, when the jailer puts him in charge over everything because he proved himself to be trustworthy because he chose what was right in the little things and in the big things. We have a position in God's house. We have a position in Israel as grafted in branches onto the tree. Will we do right by our master like Joseph did right by his? So I want... To, to encourage you to be like Joseph. Choose not to be like Adam, the old man. Choose instead to be like the new man. Choose to be like Yeshua ben Elohim, the, Shua, the son of God, the new Adam, the one who came so we could have the privilege and opportunity to choose Hashem, to choose his ways, to walk in his paths and his footsteps and to learn them and understand them and to teach them to others. And the best way to teach to others is to do it and to live it. Because practical practice is the only kind of practice. Remember that he is merciful and ready to forgive because often we fail. That was the hardest part of studying this this week was looking back at how many times I have failed to submit to Hashem and that I've had to turn around and submit to him. In 2 Peter uh, 3, which I have marked 10 through 13, I was talking with Rabbi this morning because... You know, the rabbis say, especially as a lot of people around in our movement and beyond and online talk about, you know, we're seeing more and more signs of the end times and that, you know, the world's supposed to get worse. A lot of the rabbis write about, um, and I think it's, I think it's both, but, the, you know, a lot of rabbis will write about the world's supposed to, in a way, get better. Righteousness will increase. And uh, Peter writes here in his letter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will melt and disintegrate. And the earth and everything done on it shall be exposed. So that's the bad. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should you be? Live your lives in holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. In the day the heavens will be dissolved by fire and elements will melt into the intense heat. But in keeping with his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You know, he encourages us, you know, live your lives in holiness and godliness. God explains what holiness and godliness are and look like when we choose him. You know, Joseph chose holiness and godliness by saying, no, I choose to submit to my master and to my God and will not sin against my God. Live as though your righteousness could hasten Messiah's return. You know, if, we, that, if that's what we want, we claim to believe it, then let us live our lives in such a way that we are pushing against the very fabric of time with our righteousness, that the, the instance of our prayers and the worship, the actions that come from our worship stretch that time and say, yes, Lord, come. We are ready for you now. Make the earth your footstool. Make it your kingdom. We are ready to live in it righteously before you, with you, obeying your word because we love you. And so that's all I have for my teaching. But I do want to pray before we go and celebrate a wedding, a beautiful time. Avinu Mokeno, our Father, our King, Lord, we thank you for this day, for this week. We thank you for the, the festival of dedication, Lord, and that in it 
we can choose to be dedicated to you in all that we do, and that our lives would be lived humbly before you in righteousness, seeking your paths. Father, teach us through your word, through your spirit, to love what you love and to hate what you hate, that we would live lives worthy of your dying for, and that we would be shining examples for those around us, Lord, of what it means to love you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he who reigns forever and ever. Amen.